Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another Lost Ladies of Lit mini episode. I'm Kim Askew. And I'm Amy Helms. And for those of you who weren't aware, my married name is actually Amy Fowler, which I only clarify here because it sort of comes into play for today's episode. Oh, yeah, it totally does. I hadn't thought about that. So tell us more, please. Okay, so I guess the meaning of the name Fowler comes from a trade back in the Middle Ages. It's an occupational name for a wild bird hunter, somebody who catches birds for food or sport. Today, we're talking about falconry, which is a related idea. But in the case of falconry, you're actually using birds of prey to hunt other smaller birds, as well as other small game like rabbits and squirrels. Okay, so I am so excited to talk about this today because I just finished reading Lauren Groff's new book, Matrix. I absolutely loved it. It's incredible. And there's actually a falcon at the beginning of this book. Um, And I don't want to give it away anything that happens, but it really sets the tone for the story. Okay. Yeah, you had told me (laughs) that you were reading it and I'm intrigued. Yes. And I'm also still in awe at the amount of books you managed to read <laughs> outside of the books that we are reading for this podcast. You're probably so, like, why are you reading those other books? I'm fitting it all in somehow, trust me. <laughs> get back to your homework. <laughs> yeah, totally. No, no, no. I love it. I love it, actually. So there are a number of other books about the sport of falconry and hawks, which we'll touch on a bit later in this episode. But first, I want to talk about what sparked the idea for this episode, because You kind of think of falconry as a lost art, you know, something out of the history books. But I was reading an article in the Los Angeles Times a few months ago about the new Academy Museum of Motion Pictures here in Los Angeles. And the story was all about this Harris Hawk named Spencer, whose job it is to ward off pigeons that might nest over the museum's open air terrace or hang out on the building's signature glass dome. I love this. So this museum that Amy's talking about is actually smack in the middle of the city. And it's kind of crazy to think they're using this ancient technique to ward off pigeons in dense urban areas. But I also know they frequently use falcons for the same purpose in New York City. How cool is that? Yeah. So if you're ever visiting a city museum and you did not get pooped on by a pigeon during the visit, you may in fact have trained hawks to thank for that. It's also common, though, for vineyard owners to bring falconers in to keep blackbirds away from the grapes, and even landfills use hawks to keep scavenger birds like seagulls away. So there are still people doing this as a living. Mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh. Um, So getting back to Spencer, the Academy Museum's winged employee, he comes about twice a week to the museum when he's in a foul mood. I had to get that pun in there. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But no, apparently sometimes when he's not in the right mindset, his brother Shady fills in to do the work. Their handler's name is Lindsay Banger, who works for a company named Hawk Pros. And they actually have to mix up the days and times they come to the museum because the pigeons are smart enough to figure out if there's a regular schedule when the hawks are coming. Okay, I have two things to say here. One of them, I think we should be saying winged because we're talking about falconry. <laughs> winged. Yes, winged, so yes. Two and syllables. two, I'm sorry, that is the most hawk pros We need a more poetic name. That's too prosaic. I mean, it is very specific. but Hawk prose. I see what you're saying. You want something more dignified. Yeah. Anyway. Maybe it could be like hawk prose, like P-R-O-S-E. Yeah. I guess if I think about it that way, it makes me feel (laughs) a little better. You want something a bit more fancy. Exactly. But 
Either way, I'm always amazed by the fact that a falconer can let the bird go and it comes back. It seems like they would have to have a really special bond in order for that to happen. Yeah, I think that's true. Uh, But to be safe, I know that the birds in this article anyway have a little GPS backpack. So the handler is able to track them from her phone because sometimes Spencer, the bird in the article, he does get sidetracked and ends up over in a neighborhood park. But in general, the birds know where their bread is buttered. You know, they know that by sticking with the handler, they're guaranteed a good meal. And I think they're actually raised from birth. So, Kim, you're laughing your butt off. This is like, okay, here's what I'm thinking of. I'm thinking of a modern day Lady Hawk. (laughs) You remember that movie? No. Matthew Broderick, Lady Hawk. Okay, yes, 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 yes. Okay, please. Okay, so I'm thinking like a remake of Lady Hawk, but they have like a GPS backpack. (laughs) Oh, my God. Now I got to go back and watch that Matthew. I do remember the Matthew Broderick Hawk. It should just be remade anyway without the GPS backpack and with Timothy Chalamet. But anyway, (laughs) keep going. Continue. I want to hear all this. Um, Okay. So when the birds are chasing after these LA pigeons, they actually very rarely catch one. So the point is really more to scare them away to a different area than to pick the pigeons off and kill them. So it's a lot more humane than using poison or bird spikes. And it's a lot more cool, let's face it, than using those tacky fake owl statues that you see places. Absolutely. We have one of those on our garage and, you know, I'd much rather be doing it this way. Um, So you mentioned that when Spencer was in a bad mood, the fact that hawks can actually have moods is one thing that stands out. But it also reminds me a lot of another book that I think you read also, H is for Hawk by Helen McDonald. It's this amazing memoir from 2015. It's about how she trained a goshawk while she was in the process of grieving the sudden death of her father. And goshawks are supposed to be notoriously difficult to train. And the one in this book has all kinds of attitude, as I recall. But it's also quite mythical. McDonald writes that her hawk is like, I quote, a reptile, a fallen angel, a griffin from the pages of an illuminated bestiary, something bright and distant, like gold falling through water. I just, just reading that again makes me want to reread H's for Hawk. I love that book so much. Yeah, I love that. Like gold falling through water. It's beautiful. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I think falconry feels very Arthurian legend too. Yes. So if you read The Once and Future King by T.H. White, you'll get some falconry vibes in there. Mm -hmm, Definitely. And then there's another book that sounds pretty interesting along the same line. It's called The Peregrine. It's a 1967 book by J.A. Baker, which was reissued in 2004 by the New York Review of Books Classics. It's written in diary format and is something of an autobiography about this man's obsession with one particular falcon to the point where he almost becomes the bird. And he wrote this at a time in England when peregrine falcons were becoming endangered thanks to the impact of humans. So I've not read this book. I get the sense that it's pretty dark and intense and philosophical, and the people who love it are a little obsessed with it, apparently. Filmmaker Werner Herzog is a fan. He said of the book, it has prose of the caliber that we have not seen since Joseph Conrad, an ecstasy of a delirious sort of love for what he observes. But anyway, Kim, as I was reading reviews of this book, I kept thinking it really sounded like something you would absolutely love. Have you heard of it or read it? I have heard of it. And I'm feeling like maybe I read that 
Helen McDonald was partially inspired by that for her book as well? Yeah, she references J.A. Baker in her book. So she brings it up. Okay, that's where I remember from. But also, I love Werner Herzog. I've seen him speak in person a couple of times at least. And I'm a big fan of his movies. Um, So I need to read this book. I should read this book. I think I would absolutely love it. And I don't know why I haven't yet. It really sounded like your speed. Yeah, it's going on my list. And then getting off on a slight bird of prey tangent here, I was also just reading about another book that came out in November called Showet by Claire Oshetsky. It's about a woman who is pregnant, but she reveals to her husband that, oh, by the way, the baby is actually half owl. Oh my gosh. I've seen the cover of that book. I think I've seen it. People publicize it. I had no idea that that was the premise for it. Yeah. Yeah. So apparently the main character who's pregnant had a romantic interlude with an owl, which led to this conception. (laughs) Um, And then the baby, a daughter, ends up being this sort of wild predatory bird baby. Publishers Weekly calls it a Dantean journey through the violent fever dreams of a young woman in the trials of pregnancy and early motherhood. Sign me up. I love it. I know. That sounds sounds amazing. The premise sounds a bit strange, perhaps, but it reminds me a little bit of the plot of Gertrude Trevelyan's Appius and Virginia. We did that a few months ago where the main character is raising an orangutan, orangutan, orangutan as her own child. Orangutan. You can't say orangutan and you still can't say Gertrude. I I feel like I might have said Romana Clef at one point in our podcast. And then I heard someone say Romana Clay the other day. And I was like, wait a second, I got to find that podcast. Can you say it either way? I always thought it was Romana Clef too. And then Sarah from the Afro Ben episode said Romana Clay. And I'm like, what? Where the heck's the F go? Okay, thank you. It wasn't just me. Okay. Yeah. That's news to me. It's complete news to me. Yeah. Okay. So finally, getting back to falconry, since this is a mini episode, which is where we usually branch out to other topics, I didn't necessarily think that this was going to actually lead us to a lost lady of literature, but it did, in fact. So I found out that the earliest book about falconry, the Book of St. Albans, is attributed to a nun named Juliana Berners. But there's a big asterisk next to this, which there's a big asterisk I can't say asterisk, <laughs> but, there's a, <laughs> but there's a big asterisk next to this, which I'll explain in a second. The Book of St. Albans is a book that was written in 1486, all about gentlemanly pursuits like hunting, fishing, and birding, as well as things like heraldry. Juliana Berners was apparently a Benedictine prioress at St. Mary of Sopwell near St. Albans. It's believed she was the daughter of a nobleman, which would explain her love of these country sports that I just mentioned. And it's not really clear whether she wrote the entire book or if she really only wrote the section on hunting. It's all a bit nebulous, and there's not a ton of information that can be found out about her. But she was definitely referenced by other medieval writers. And then around the Victorian era, scholars were starting to be skeptical about whether or not she really was the author of the Book of St. Albans. And it doesn't help that there are various spellings of her name throughout history, and the records have her being part of two different families. It also doesn't help that the historical records for the priory where she was prioress have a big gap. So the records are basically missing for the time period she was supposed to have been there. All this adds up to a big mystery that scholars are still trying to get to the bottom of. They think 
that a lot of the Book of St. Albans may be taken from French works, but they don't necessarily know what those source books are even. So maybe it was something she created entirely. Who knows? Okay. You need to run to your nearest bookstore or call them up right now and get Matrix because there is so much there. The main character in Matrix is very androgynous and has some more typically male um, interests and pursuits. And she came from France to England to run a priory. And there's just so many things in what you just said that also are similar to this book. So, so good. I wonder if... Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, Maybe. She might have known that reference. Yeah. It's based on Marie de de France is who who she's supposed to be. But there's only so much we know about all of these women. So it's possible she took some of this as well. And I'm going to be looking to see if I can find anything about this in relation to Matrix. But yeah, yeah, great, great, great book. Okay. I think my favorite aspect of reading up on the Book of St. Albans, though, is its list of collective nouns. So, you know, when you think about terms like a gaggle of geese or a murder of crows, Mm -hmm. a lot of those come from the Book of St. Albans. That's where it originated from. But they have a ton more of those. So it also lists a tower of giraffes and a confusion of wildebeests, a bloat of hippos. So there's all these different collective nouns that we don't, I mean, to this day, most of us don't know what the collective noun is for a group of wildebeests. It's a confusion, apparently. And the book is the most famous source of those collective nouns. And it didn't just apply to animals. So here are a few others. We have a tabernacle of bakers, a drunken ship of cobblers, a never thriving of jugglers, a subtlety of sergeants. It's funny and awesome. And if Juliana Berners did write this, I kind of love her just for that alone. I mean, that's amazing. So what did she have to say about falconry? If she wrote this book, that is. Well, it's interesting that she's kind of a proponent of conservation in this book. So she says things like, take only the birds you need and leave the rest for your neighbors. Otherwise, you'll spoil the sport for everyone. And I'm paraphrasing that, but it was not necessarily common wisdom at the time, you know? She also had a list of what ranks were allowed to own certain types of hawks and falcons. So it was all decided by your social standing, whether you got to have a peregrine falcon, that meant you were an earl, or a mere goshawk, which would have been for a yeoman. I mean, what were they teaching us in schools that we didn't get to read this book? I mean, (laughs) thank God for this podcast, that's all I can say. (laughs) Um, But anyway, this is all reminding me of the episode we did last year with Lauren Saran. We were talking about the green parrot. You'll remember this by Marta Babesco. And Lauren mentioned that she'd actually been falconing. Do we have a clip of that? Yes, let's play it right now. This idea of being chosen by this kind of larger than life animating force that has this just incredible force of will inside of it, I think is very powerful. I went falconing once. And when I was holding the hawk on my hand, I actually understood completely and wholly for the first time in my life that animals are completely different than us, that we anthropomorphize them, that we make up stories about them, that we have relationships with them. But this hawk and I, like we wanted nothing of the same things. Okay, so if we needed any more proof that Lauren is the coolest person on the face of the planet, there it is. It's like she's from another place in time. Shout out to Lauren. We love her. Totally. Actually, I did go see a falconry 
exhibition once. I remember when I went to England for the first time, I think I was in Stratford upon Avon. They had some sort of falconer there. It was this blonde girl. I just remember like cute yellow but dead baby chicks in her hand. (laughs) That was like the bait she was using with the hawk. Part of me wanted to say, okay, can we burn calories from doing this? Because I think it is the right workout for me. I think I finally found the thing that I can do. But the dead baby bird part, then that had me go. Yeah. Not so much. I do want to say, Kim, Mm -hmm. I have an idea because I looked this up. When Lauren was saying she went falconing once and it was like, who does that, right? Mm-hmm. And I happened to Google it. I don't know if I was looking up the Hawk Pros. I don't know what I was doing. There's all kinds of places in Southern California where we can just go do this. It's a thing. Let's Thank do it. I will absolutely 100% do it. Sign okay. us up. I will do it. Yeah. I don't care about the cost. I'll do it. All right. So listeners, Kim and I are going to go falconing, let's say sometime in the next year. Yeah. So between now and fall of 2022, we're going to yeah. get our butts falcony. <laughs> yeah, we absolutely are. And we'll see uh-huh. if it's actually any sort of a workout, which I honestly don't think it is. It's a workout for the bird, Kim, not for yeah. you. Oh, yeah, you're right. Maybe you have to chase after it or something. Yeah, that's true. I'm sure I'll be chasing. <laughs> I'll be chasing after. <laughs> come back. Come back. But no, I definitely <laughs> want to do it. <laughs> Please bond with me. <laughs> Okay. Anyway, thank you listeners for putting up with me. That's all for today's podcast. Join us back here next week because we're going to be talking all about Jean Stratton Porter, whose classic novel, A Girl of the Limberlost, features a heroine that's obsessed with another winged creature of the forest. I said winged. Did you catch that? I caught that. Yes. Thank you. And best of all, we've got one of our all-time favorite guests back again next week. Cultural critic Sadie Stein is returning to discuss this one with us. We're so excited. Oh my gosh, who doesn't love Sadie? So tune in for that. And don't forget to take a minute to leave us a five-star review where you listen to this podcast. It literally takes one minute. And don't forget to sign up for our monthly newsletter at lostladiesoflit.com and tell your friends about us on social media. Until next week, bye everybody. Our theme song was written and performed by Jenny Malone and our logo was designed by Harriet Grant. Lost Ladies of Lit is produced by Kim Askew and Amy Helms.